Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo and Golik. Michael Jr., Jesse Cofield holding it down in the Boston DraftKings studios here with us and filling in because my dad is somewhere right now driving through Oklahoma City in a van with my mom and younger brother is Jason Fitz, Yahoo Sports and Fox Sports radio host, kind enough to join us again here on the show. Jason, how you doing, brother? Man, sixth man of the year, right? Like That's what I'm going for. I'm going for first guy off the bench. You call me. I come in, coach. I, I, I wear those pants that I can rip off at any point. I'm always game ready. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Rip the pants off. Always ready to rip my pants off and come hang out with you. I, I, really, you don't really need to tell everybody how ready you are to rip your pants off. I'd worry with you in the breakaway pants that you just wouldn't have pants on underneath the breakaway pants. You might not have pants on right now. We don't know. I mean, can't confirm, can't deny, won't. I want to keep the mystery here. Let's keep things suspenseful. Okay. God, that's not a mystery I want solved. Uh, (laughs) We are brought to you by Wrangler, made for the ride of life. Save 15% on your first Wrangler.com order with promo code GOJO15. Got a great show, as always. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us that five-star rating. Check us out on DraftKings' YouTube channel, DraftKingsNetwork.com, Samsung TV Plus, and more live right here, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern. Monday through Friday, we got a whole weekend of football college and pro to look ahead at we got big vic out here balling last night the game that we were waiting to sort of consummate the victor Wembenyama experience and his early nba run but vince we also had i think my favorite part about thursday night football is realizing that these teams were just the spider-man pointing meme looking at the other here from the coach on down to the quarterbacks on down to the styles of play on both of these teams. Titans versus Steelers had a little bit of everything because I think what you had, Fitz, were two imperfect rosters meeting at the exact right time of their season. And it ends with a Steelers 20-16 to win over the Titans. But I feel like walking out of this, everybody can somehow feel good. The Steelers continue to win in a wholly unsustainable brand of football. The Titans... I think get more good moments from their quarterback, Will Levis, and can march forward in a season where in the AFC South, no one's ever really dead. What did you make of this game? Yeah, so I actually think you're wrong. How do you like that? Uh, I don't think that both teams should feel good about this. I do think the Titans should feel good because the Titans have nothing really they're playing for this year. And I thought Will Levis, given especially Mike Tomlin's uh, prowess against young quarterbacks, he, he's great against young quarterbacks. We know that. Rookie quarterbacks, his record spectacular. Short week for Will Levis. I thought the biggest key for Will was don't screw it up. And for the most part, he did a really good job of that. The difference is Kenny Pickett is not a first-year quarterback on four days rest. And the number of wide open passes that he missed I mean I thought frankly the broadcast was too kind on Pickett for the number of times that there was a guy right there and the ball's nowhere near him so if I'm the Steelers the frustration is yeah I won the game and I, I realized that like hey when when is what it's all about but at the end of the day you got to start at some point stop looking at the record and look at your team and ask are they any good the Steelers ran the football okay last night that's fine but they were taking on a terrible passing defense and Kenny Pickett still didn't look good throwing the football so I walked away with less faith in the Steelers even though they got the win and if I'm a Titans fan I walk away from it saying hey there are only there's only one thing the rest of the year that's going to matter to anybody that's Will Levis he gets another game under his belt where he looks pretty good Titans fans probably have a lot of hope right now yeah he never looked overwhelmed and I think that's what you were looking for in this game is all right when it got out of downs and distances he was comfortable in when it got into situations like the end of half like the end of game where you've got to drop back with everything on the line how did it look in that spot you know you throw the interception to end the game but at that point third and a mile down near the red zone with a bunch of bodies dropped back there low likelihood of success for anybody let alone a rookie trying to go and navigate that situation I thought in a lot of the drop back spots absorbing contact he made some really competent throws he still played with a bit of that fearless air that we saw but we knew their game plan right you want to hand it off to Derrick Henry you want to dump it off and try and run a lot of running back screens get the ball to Ty J Spears or Derrick Henry early and low in the uh low near the sticks and then try and prosper from there and so I think from the 
inception of the game plan to the execution from him. You're right. You can feel good about that. For the Kenny Pickett thing, maybe it's because I have low expectations to begin with of that offense right now, and we're, we're still not really sure where to take that from, right? To your point, this was Kenny Pickett airmailing some balls we thought she, he should have had in there. Matt Cannon has been the one drawing the ire from everybody. And so, Fitz, maybe I say you should feel good because if you're the Steelers, you don't have a good offense right now, and your defense has struggled mightily this year as well. Got a little healthier last night, but you're still finding a way to win, and that's kind of been the hallmark of the Mike Tomlin era. And so whatever magic he's mustered is still managing to work on this team. Yeah, but the Steelers aren't going to be happy. Steelers fans aren't going to be happy being lumped into the same types of conversations we were having about the Vikings last year, and I'm not sure that that's not a pretty fair comp here. The Vikings weren't a very good football team, but they won a boatload of football games. So when we got to the playoffs and they weren't good enough, nobody was really surprised. And when they got to the offseason and they started to try and tinker with what that roster looked like, nobody was really surprised they made some changes. I think the Steelers, the hardest part about their offense, you're right, but it's not Matt Canada's fault that you know, uh, you don't get two feet. The Pickens didn't get two feet down in the end zone yeah. on a wide open touchdown. It's not Matt Canada's fault that some of those balls were high or they were behind or they were around. Like, it's just, it's everything is still out of sync. And when you have Pickens and Johnson, who are supposed to, like, as a tandem, look pretty good. And you got a couple of guys that, as a tandem, are supposed to be able to run the football. All you need is your quarterback to be okay, and you should be a pretty good offense. I can't figure out why they can't get the little things right. Like, the little things look difficult for the Steelers. So, yeah, it is a testament that they're winning these football games. But if this version of the Steelers goes to the playoffs, they're going to get absolutely trashed. Like, I'm not putting the Steelers in the same conversation right now as the Ravens or even the Bengals, who haven't won as many football games, but are at least to turn the corner in the way they look when you do the dreaded eye test for them. So I think that's it because you're right. I don't look at the Steelers team and feel hopeful, especially in this year's AFC and the current status of that conference. I don't look at them and see a playoff team and definitely not a playoff team capable of winning multiple games. But I think there is something, and I'd be curious for Steelers fans as a fan base, of they're not going to go out and embarrass you. Like, they've managed to somehow keep this respectable despite not having a roster that I feel all that confident in. Now, Deontay Johnson getting back and scoring his first receiving touchdown for the first time since Ben Roethlisberger was the quarterback on this team is an insane stat and something that made me smile last night and happy for him also here. I mean, you've got all of that. Jesse, do we have a happy Deontay Johnson that we can show people here? Because you saw instantly the joy on his face, on his teammates' faces. It's one of those situations. Everyone's aware of those things, even if it's not explicitly talked about. You know, I'm sure Deontay Johnson in, tra- in practice when they're running plays that are designed for him down in the red zone, I'm sure he talks about it a little bit then or chirps through it. But it's not something that guys go out of their way to acknowledge. But everybody knows. Everybody's aware of something like that. You kind of saw that joy last night, Jesse. Yeah, we have some Kenny Pickett on the situation and some Deontay Johnson on the situation. Take a look at this. It was great. It was awesome. Obviously, you know, it was a big deal um, to get him in the end zone. It's been it's been too long for sure. So, um, you know, see that smile on his face after that was great. And I'm, I'm sure it felt like the world was off his back now so he can go relax and play and uh, continue to be the, the guy that he is for us. He had an unbelievable game. It's just us being on the same page. Um, you know what I'm saying? That goes all the way back to training camp. And uh, like I said, we've been practicing that those type of plays all year. You know, like I said, it's it's good. To, you know, we could put it on put it on film and you know, get it put uh put, put it on film and uh, put points on the bulletin board at the same time. And uh, like I said, I, I got full faith in Kenny that you, you're gonna make the right choices at all the time. It's like a step forward for this offense, I guess some would say. Well, I think Deontay Johnson represents a step forward for this offense, right? Because fits the way I would liken him if you're going to make the Steelers wide receiver room an action film. Deontay Johnson's the front man. He's the main character of the action film. He's the one advancing the plot on any given level. And then you bring in George Pickens when you got to dismantle the bomb. Like when you need high level, tight rope back, high wire stuff done in a high pressure situation. Usually that's been George Pickens territory, back shoulder throws by the sideline, fingernail catches in the end zone. Those are the kind of things he's majored in. While it seems like Deontay Johnson, the rest of the route tree is a little more available to him at this juncture. And having him back certainly seems to open up some things for this offense, even if I still don't think overall because of the quarterback, because of the coordinator, that they're going to be able to overcome a lot of those limitations. Again, though, I'm going to I'm going to push back and say that 
to use your film analogy, the Titans defense is the equivalent of like Halloween seven. Like it's a regrettable movie that was like, sure. It's part of a franchise that you look at and say, yeah, I respect it, but we're so deep into this thing. That secondary is bad, right? Like there's just no two, there's no nice way to say anything about the way the Titans play pass defense this year. So I, I don't know how much I can take away from, Hey, he had a moment against, you know, Halloween 7. Like, I, I just, I don't know. that. I feel like maybe we should manage expectations a little bit. No offense to the Titans. I think we should sometimes celebrate joy when it happens, though, so I'll be happy for <laughs> Deontay Johnson. I'm even happier, Fitz, because last night has given birth to one of my favorite facts in recent memory, one of my favorite NFL statistics in recent memory that perfectly summarizes exactly where the Steelers team is right now. Because last night I saw a tweet that said the Steelers are the only team in the Super Bowl era, which is sometime in, I think, 1967, something around that time, to have a winning record through eight games despite being outgained in yardage in every single game. They have been outgained by nearly 790 yards on the season. I don't even know how that's possible other than Mike Tomlin. Like every time you're looking at the Steelers and wondering, and I think Fitz, this is always where we sort of from the outside looking in struggle. Even I do as someone who was like in locker rooms to always articulate exactly where you can see coaching show up in certain moments outside of fourth down decision-making, how you manage the clock, stuff like that that we talk about that's pretty overt. The rest of it is so many soft skills and stuff behind the scenes, but where what we see and the gap between what we get exists, that's usually where I see coaching. And when I see this stat, I just see Mike Tomlin staring up with that wry smirk going, I did it again. I feel like Tomlin's sitting in his desk at the end of the night with a glass of something nice. Like, it's really good. It's neat. There's no ice in it. You know, there's no sugar in it. He's, it's straight liquor. And he's got his feet up on his desk. And he takes a sip and he looks out and he says... Yeah, I did it again. Like, I am him. There is this moment of rightfully so, because it should be pointed out also to that stat. We have a pretty good amount of respect, although they've had some injury issues this year, for that Steelers defense overall, right? Like, so to be that outgained and to be that out yardaged, if that's good, we're going to make that a term, through the course of the season speaks to how abysmal the offense has been, but it also speaks to the fact that, like, there's been times where the defense has been a little bit more susceptible to the arts, and they still win these games. Like, I, I, I am shooketh by this because I don't know whatever takes Mike Tomlin down. Like, Mike Tomlin is literally the guy that you, he's just sitting there, and it doesn't matter how many times you hit him. He just gets back up and he's like, nah, I'm good. We'll keep doing the damn thing. And I believe in that. So you're right. All I ever ask for is for a coach. If I look at a roster and say, man, is this team playing better because of the guy on the sideline? It's pretty easy to look at Mike Tomlin and get the clear answer to that is consistently yes. Matt Canada or not I think it is interesting that point fits because early in the season as both him and Bill Belichick were watching and suffering through unprecedented failure in their terms we were asking questions about both their long-term futures and since then we've seen the Patriots largely continue to struggle outside of you know a little bit of recent success but Mike Tomlin on this team five and three well over 500 still which has sort of been the hallmark of the Tomlin era never finishing below that threshold but I think that's someone who firmly you look at, and for both of them, you can question the decision-making of some of their hires, right? We've done that with Bill Belichick, both as the GM and as the hirer of offensive coordinators in the last few years. I think you can do that with Tomlin and his commitment and his loyalty to Matt Canada as well. But the one thing you can't question is him finding a way to still motivate and get things done with the team there. So uh, last night, also uh, uh, worth mentioning, uh, had Traylon Burks, injured uh, in this game, carted off in a really scary moment on the field there. He was stabilized on a stretcher and carted off the field late in the fourth quarter, gave him the thumbs up as he was taken away. Vrabel gave the update after the game and said that he was alert and moving, heading into the locker room, had full use of his extremities as he was being evaluated. So certainly, you know, hope for the best for him, thinking and praying for Traylon Burks. It was a you know, very scary hit and moment in that game. Jason, I, I think big picture for this, and I'd be curious because you're a guy that spent so much of your life in Nashville. You covered this team locally when you were working in radio down there, so you're very familiar with this fan base and this franchise. As you zoom out now, Will Levis was the third of the rookie quarterbacks that we saw get out on the field from this year. Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud, we know, were the first rounders that managed to do this. Relative to those other teams, because I think you've had 
C.J. Stroud, who's been such an overwhelming success early. There's so many good vibes around the Houston Texans. You've had Bryce Young that up until now, I think some people have worried about just because the results haven't been there, even if I think he's played pretty well at certain times. And now we've got Will Levis. In terms of confidence each team should have in their guy, where do you put Will Levis in that conversation now two games into his NFL season? Look, I, I'm surprised at how well Levis has played. I, I, I'm the first to say that loudly, uh, covering the draft when he was drafted. I thought he kind of went in the right place. Uh, when you talk about second round, I, I thought that was actually pretty appropriate. And I felt like the evaluation of him from people I talked to around college football was a little bit off uh, throughout the entire course of it. So I think there it was fair to have some questions about Will Levis. This fan base, in, in you know, I, I did a phoner yesterday for 1025 The Game on ESPN Radio uh, in Nashville, and the fan base has no questions about Will Levis. But that's what's interesting about Titans fans. We all have that friend that three dates in falls in love, and then like a year ah, later for oh no good no. reason is no longer in love. Like I've watched the Titans do this. Titans fans fell in love with Mariota until it just wasn't good enough, and then they absolutely hate him he's the worst get him out of here so they fell in love immediately with ryan Tannehill because they were like finally we have a quarterback and like Tannehill's great but then he has some playoff success so they fall out of love with him and now will levis comes in and boom so they are that person that like they get into the relationship they're a little tired of the relationship they find something new they fall wildly in love I do think, though, Will Levis has given the fan base a ton of reason for hope. The way he has played the first couple of games has been shocking to me because he's been so in control. I thought last night it was really, it was a strong signal that he found the Blitzer so many times. Even the Amazon broadcast was struggling with their AI to figure out who was actually going to come sometimes, and Will Levis wasn't struggling with that. So did I love some of the play calls? No, but I loved his ability to maneuver and get the ball around somebody that was right in his face. The game never felt like it was too big for him. His internal clock felt right like if I'm a Titans fan I, I'm excited but I think that's probably pretty warranted to be that excited so it's only two games in but this is the problem not just with the Titans fans but Mike you know this with every single fan base you see what like I'm a Raiders fan Aiden O'Connell plays one game and everybody's like yeah get rid of Jimmy Aiden O'Connell's the future like okay we we take one game and we make somebody the next Jesus or the next devil it doesn't matter after one game we do this all the time so I just I keep saying with Will Levis like I don't know, maybe give it like, I, I can't get three years, which is what I think it really takes to evaluate a quarterback. So maybe just give me like, I don't know, four or five games. Yeah, I think I think that's fair, and I think that's why last night was so fun because it was a continuation of, it was in addition to. We were going to, I thought, see him play a little bit sloppier football, especially against the defense that can have still some of the playmakers Pittsburgh has, and we didn't see that show up necessarily, and that to me was the most encouraging. It was on a short week. It was all these factors that we know should have been working against a rookie quarterback, and instead what we got was 22 of 39, 262, and while he took four sacks in this game, which we know, young quarterbacks especially, a little bit more inclined to hold on to the ball some. Uh, I didn't see all of the sacks specifically and can't recollect them right now, but I won't blame him for all of them. What I will say, Fitz, is he does understand the assignment is I need to keep the right people happy because when you go down and you look at the way that things have been targeted, and we obviously know last game it was four touchdowns and a bunch of them going to DeAndre Hopkins who had probably felt like he was trapped in football hell, and you look down the sheet right now, DeAndre Hopkins, the overwhelming leader in targets in Tennessee Titans receiving with 11 targets on the night, now only translated to four catches for 50 yards because DeAndre Hopkins has always been a contested catch guy and he was going to continue to be a contested catch guy. And so Will Levis smartly is throwing a lot of balls up to him and seeing what sticks more snuck last game than this game. But you look after that, the next closest is Ty J Spears then. Like it was, hey, I'm going to throw the ball to DeAndre Hopkins or we're going to have a screen set up for one of these running backs and we're going to make it work. That is a trend, though. If you look at it through the course of the beginning of the season for young quarterbacks across the league, they zero in on their best receiver because that's going to be the easiest thing to do. And if that's not there, they take the check down. Like that is a real thing. Again, I'll go back to Aiden O'Connell a couple of weeks ago in his one game. He targeted Devontae Adams 13 times. The next targeted player was Josh Jacobs with 11. After that, it was like two to somebody else, right? So if you look at what's happened so young, so far for Bryce Young, what is he doing? He's got a receiver he likes. He's going to target that one receiver over and over. And he just like happens to be 33 years old and we thought was a little bit broken coming into the season and apparently still got it. Yeah, well, as a, somebody that has him on my fantasy roster, I'm happy that he's still got it. But th that's, that's what young, play, young quarterbacks do. They got one receiver or a running back.
Yeah, and you know what? Simplifying the equation is something I'm always in favor of with rookie quarterbacks, which is, again, I give Mike Vrabel a lot of credit for looking in the situation and understanding exactly what it needs at this juncture. Because for Titans fans, you're right. He is the metric for success or failure. He's going to be the interesting point going through the rest of the season. And for the Steelers, you get to take solace in the fact that you have essentially become the Iowa Hawkeyes of the NFL. (laughs) Three words, Hawkeye pride. Coming up next... Let's let Jason Fitz get some things off his chest about his beloved Las Vegas Raiders. Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, That's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice-cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there and you get to that little clubhouse there and they've always got the candy bar options. And I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. So yesterday, as Jesse and I were on the show, having this discussion with my dad, who's now ironically not using this mode of transportation he's in a sprinter van somewhere in oklahoma city hello to him my mom and my brother who are listening right now we had a discussion that i saw jason fitz just dive right into and i found out an ugly thing about my friend jason which is that he's the worst kind of person in that he says he is not an airplane recliner as we talked about yesterday with a woman on a plane loudly berating the passenger behind her that she said was jostling her seat and that she was allowed to recline Fitz is over and over gone i'm not a recliner but and then proceeded to launch into my mentions and fight with anybody who will listen about the right of people to recline jason that was a real low point for you man i'm worried about you no it's a high point because sometimes you got to fight for people that can't fight for themselves like the recliner doesn't want to speak on this because the recliner person is going to feel embarrassed about it i you know i've flown a lot in my life i have never reclined i don't like i don't even like like basic recliners i like to sit kind of straight up but here's the thing mike here's the point that nobody can argue with me on this because at the end of the day Airlines have to disclose if a, if a seat doesn't recline. And most airlines charge less for a seat that doesn't recline. You pay a premium for ones that do recline. Airlines are telling you in that process that you are actually paying in part for the space that is behind you, the reclining space. So if the person in front of me wants to recline right into my face, that's well within their right. They paid for it. The airline allows it. Like, it, sure, does it make things a little tighter for me? Yeah, but if I really have a problem with it, what can I do? I can can recline like everybody can go back a little bit so like everybody's sitting here saying it's not the right thing to do so i get to tell the person in front of me how they should enjoy their flight because it inconveniences me what kind of selfish world do we live in here they paid for the right and they should get what they paid for and that comes from somebody that sat in a middle seat on a commercial flight from la or from new york to australia once with two big boys on each side of me and a recliner in front you know what i don't get to look at the person next to me and say you're too fat to sit in this seat and i don't get to look at the person in front of me and say you can't recline you know what he's right it's not breaking any rules like gojo you you have this you have this thing where you're like as a society we have to like i i I don't agree with that like i'm with fitz i don't personally recline my seat that's not a thing I, i don't get into my seat and just recline that's not something i typically do but people are like I'm sorry, but the seats recline for a reason. 
You know what? This is this works perfectly to my point here because Jesse, you brought up the part about a society. There are plenty of places in society where you have legal choices that you're absolutely allowed to make. I play plenty of blackjack, and I always bring it back to this reference. It is perfectly legal for you at a casino to walk up to the table, get in there for one hand in the middle of what we got going on, play that one hand, win or lose, and then walk away and take your money. But everyone is rightly going to judge you for being a jerk when you do it. And this is the same way. Seats recline on the plane. We all got choices. You got a choice when you're in traffic to let somebody in or not, to zipper when you're coming off the intersection, to do all the things that we know in a functioning society because we don't live alone and we don't operate by ourselves are required to keep the thin veil between us and the animals active and accommodating. And instead, you guys want to restrict that. That's fine. This exit, the seat reclining option exists to give everyone a choice. Am I going to think about the other people on the plane with me or am I going to think about myself? And we all get to make that choice and I get to judge accordingly. You're right. You're not going to go to jail for this. It's like freedom of speech. You're not going to go to jail for this. No one's going to tell you you can't do it, but we're all going to judge you, and I reserve the right to do that. But, but Mike, let me let me phrase it this way. If you are sitting, because, you know, you, you, you're a colic, if you're sitting at a fancy blackjack table, right, that costs more, and one of the rules of that, that black, you paid in your buy-in, and they were like, hey, you can play for one hand, but here's the way this table rules rules go. Here's how the rules go, and here's how much money everybody's got on the stake. I can't just walk in and suddenly join that in traffic if i paid for a very specific lane and somebody wants to merge in that didn't pay for that lane am i letting them in hell no like there's no way like you pay for the opportunity to recline your seat that is an undeniable fact like it is part of what you bought so like yeah you gotta let some and look you're big you're you're tall if i recline and your knees hit me i get it like i gotta move my chair that's probably the right thing to do because it's not going to make me comfortable either but but if you're sitting behind me and it's like, well, you reclined. So you're telling me that the that the jerk in this situation is the guy that's trying to be comfortable, not the person that's like, you Like that's the jerk. The jerk is the person that's acting like a child, and the child in this scenario is the one that's hitting the back of the seat in front of them because they're inconvenienced. This Hi, is Jason. this is exactly what the airlines want. We are fighting with each other about the ability (laughs) to recline our seats. And the airlines are making the seats smaller so that they can cram us into the tube like sardines and they can make a couple extra bucks on shoving an extra person in there. And, And they've created this scenario. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if some of these people on the internet are bots. Created yes, by the airlines. Created by the airline. Yes, this is big airline agree. propaganda. They want us to be infighting so that we don't see what the real issue is. It, you, uh, Jesse, you're 100% right. But that being said, we can't change what the airline is going to do. We are at their mercy for better or for worse. And that means we need to take care of each other. And part of it is that exact same situational awareness that Jason described. There are certain situations where, yeah, if you got a little kid sitting behind you who's not going to feel the heat of that or a person that's like Jason's size, that's fine. But if you look back and see a hoss and all of a sudden you're reclining into his airspace there, yeah, it's your right. But you realize you're just actively making someone else's life worse and as someone who again listen jesse you and i played team sports you know what it's like to put somebody else's safety and well-being into your hands and say hey i'm gonna go out here and operate with a teammate mine jason you played in a band i'm sure you didn't go out there and play your little fiddle like you were the only one on stage you were a band director you had a team to take care of you didn't think selfishly like this right now so that's why i'm disgusted that you're putting this on tape for people but you are saying this, you stand by this, but then you also think that you can take your shoes off on the airplane and have your, your toes out in the middle of the airplane. No, so, I would never have my toes out. I would have my socks okay. tucked in shame on top of my shoes under the seat where they can't be seen. There's I'm just difference. saying- this Wait, your fat number- guy feet swell is not our problem. Fat guy feet swell in an airline is definitely not our problem. Right, so I'm saying like, you're you're having a hard and fast rule about one airline thing that people, people regularly post on the internet about this is gross, this person took their shoes off but you stand by that behavior but not this behavior mike mike i i can tell you though there's an easy way for you to never have anyone recline like th- there's a very simple situation everybody goes to the punch the back of the seat i'm just telling you right now if you mike Golick jr are sitting behind me and i recline and you simply lean up right next to my ear and whisper hey feel free to recline anytime you want I'm going to move my seat back up. You could handle it with that, just a creepy whisper, 
bam, seat goes right back up front. Like maybe you should master the creepy whisper and then all of a sudden the person in front of you isn't intruding in your territory. Does this happen to you regularly, Gojo? Do people recline into you? Yes, very regularly. Really? And I'm someone who's much more comfortable sleeping with my head forward than lying back, which is also part of this and why I wore so hard against this. But it fits... I'm I'm not going to get myself arrested or added to some list that requires me to alert people when I move into their neighborhood by creepy whispering in strangers ear on a plane. I'm probably going to avoid that advice. I'm just going to keep doing what I do, which is jamming my knees comfortably into the lower part of the seat so that they look confused at the button why their seat's not reclining. It must not work for some reason, knowing full well that I'm the reason it doesn't work. And then I'm going to sleep soundly knowing that I thwarted at least one person from making someone else's life a little bit harder. That's I'm going to wait till you I'm gonna wait till you fall asleep and then just keep rocking it back into your knees to wake you up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Mike doesn't get his plane nap. I am yeah. a very sleepy boy and I need my plane nap. He, I don't he, know what to tell you. I am surprised that people recline into you. I will say because if I were to see a big person behind me, I would not. I would not do that. I just don't find I don't find reclining to be comfortable as a basic like uh, every time I try to recline I'm like that this doesn't feel as good on my back I'm I'm gonna sit straight up also I'm a, a window seat guy because I like to be able to sort of lean into that little pocket and avoid contact Wait. as much as possible are you a guy on a morning flight that will leave the window open then in the window no, no. seat? No, the first thing, and I don't care if I got a kid next to me, the first thing I'm doing is I'm shutting that window down. I don't want I don't want to see the sky. I don't want any of that light. I don't want it reflecting on my screens while I try and watch or listen to whatever I'm doing. I get into my little cubby, I close the window, and I come all the way over, which is why I get mad when I got like one of those spreaders, you know, that's sitting there like making sure their knees are a mile apart and they're just putting taking both armrests. And I'm like, dude, I have consolidated myself into this space. Leave alone the definitive list of the worst people at the airport is in the works and coming but coming up next uh, i guess we will actually get to that thing we said we'd talk about where jason fitz gets to rant about his raiders and maybe a look at some young quarterbacks around the nfl next the nba playoffs are heating up and so is the action on DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba with same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. Jason Fitz is here with us today. So obviously we have to talk about what the hell is going on with the Raiders. So let's just run through what went down this week. So Monday night, Raiders lose to the Lions 26-14. to Tuesday night, Josh McDaniels and GM Jave Ziegler are out, fired. Antonio Pierce named interim coach, Champ Kelly named interim GM. Now Wednesday, O.C. McLombardi's fired. QB coach Bo Hart agreed promoted to O.C. and play caller. And then QB Aiden O'Connell named starter. And after a tumultuous week, to say the least, Antonio Pierce is taking an us-against-the-world approach here. We're, we're playing a kid's game. We're going to pay millions of dollars to do it. We're fortunate to play for an alumni base, an owner, a fan base that, like, live and die. Raiders. Yeah. And when we walk in that stadium, it's it's got to be electric. And I, what I told these guys is, it's simple, man. Listen, who knows? I, I'm not promising we're going to go undefeated. I'm not promising, you know, we're going to you know, do the record books. But I am promising you this. We're going to have fun doing it. And I know when you start having fun and you guys start believing one another and they start really engaging in each other and believing in what the coaches are telling them and understand it's in their best interest and we, we are in this together, 
When you put the we aspect and us and team into it, it changes all that from the eyes. We block out all this outside noise because we're going to get some over the next, you know, 72 plus hours. That is just us against the world. And that's our mentality going to be right now, us against the world. Raider Nation against everybody else. I mean, Jason, we just got to get into, like, life as a Raiders fan right now. How are we feeling after this week and the Antonio Pierce speech, which felt a little bit uh, – we were talking about this, Gojo. It felt very rehearsed. Oh, he had this one ready. There's no doubt, Jason. The question is, and to Jesse's point, did it work on you? Uh <sighs> To a certain degree, let me say this. Last Thursday, so a little over a week ago, I was on one of our Yahoo shows, Inside Coverage. And at the end of the show, I said, guys, I'm going to give you a bold prediction. The Lions are going to absolutely destroy the Raiders on Monday night. And on Tuesday, Josh McDaniels is going to be fired. I made that prediction four days before it happened because it just has looked that bad. And if you're Mark Davis, you've spent the last month or so watching the Vegas Aces go on this beautiful championship run. And as you went up and down the strip for your parade for a championship, you were booed by fans that were chanting, fire Josh, fire Josh. Like, so you think about what that feels like from an owner's standpoint. I just felt like this would be the week that Mark Davis would be sitting in the owner's box, looking around saying, this doesn't work. That turned out to be the case. And that turned out to be right. There is a moment, though, for a couple of the players left in this locker room, namely Max Crosby. They've lived some of this with Rich Bisaccia. Remember, when Rich Bisaccia was named the head coach, everybody thought their season was done. They go on a run, and all of a sudden, they find themselves in the playoffs. And Rich was just sort of one of those guys that the locker room got. So I do think that there is an element of a couple of the leaders in the locker room can say, hey, I've seen this before. I've done this before. I just don't know what I'm supposed to root for. Like, great, the Raiders go on a run. Are they actually any good? I don't know. Do they have a quarterback? No. So, like, the best case scenario for the Raiders is to lose every game the rest of the year and try and get Drake May or Caleb Williams. Like, that is the best case. But also, it sucks to watch my favorite team get beat every single week. So I'm conflicted. Like, I would love to see Antonio Pierce take this team on a run and see Devontae and Max, players that deserve to win football games, win at the highest level. But for what? To get eight or nine wins and be right back in this situation next year? If... You have a miracle ending. Like, so I don't know. I, I feel like I'm just sitting here looking at it saying a Jeff Saturday solution is much more likely. You win one for the Gipper and it's fun. And then you don't win again. Yeah, that's probably the right way. And I get it, it is conflicted because we talk all the time. Certainly the idea of tanking or intentionally pointing yourself even in that direction is so hard to palette as a player because like you said for max crossing and Devonte adams those are high level competitors those are guys that are made their living and they both really want to win like they're not just content cashing checks we've seen Devonte's frustration i can't imagine what it's like for max crosby who's almost single-handedly lifting that defense every time they're out there on the field there are very few single man wrecking crews as potent as 98 98 wearing silver and black it's remarkable and so the notion to them has got to be incredibly off-putting that they would do anything other than that. And even as a fan, it's got to be tough, but Fitz, you're right. Like, that's probably best-case scenario because while Aiden O'Connell was an awesome preseason story and while he could have some moments here, we generally tend to see guys picked in this spot outside of the Brock Purdy situation. Generally, it's got a shelf life, and that usually is only a couple of games because you see the limited skill sets that usually got them drafted, where they were picked, and why they ended up going so late there. So I understand that for you. Uh, I'm sympathetic to an extent. Um, oh, to an extent. We're qualifying the amount of sympathy you have? Uh, to yeah, an extent? I mean, not that to much. An it's incredibly entertaining content when you're upset and winding yourself up this entire time. So I mean, it's good to for an the rest of us. You know, to an extent, you know what? The next time Notre Dame's in the college football playoff in 22 years, I'll to an extent feel bad for you when they get beat by 372. Yeah, it'll probably be like next year when they expand to 12 here. Oh, We're back, on. baby. We are back. You mentioned, Fitz, the idea of being in range of one of the good quarterbacks. I said the other day, I think the more and more we go along looking at a very deep crop of college quarterbacks, the two are really going to continue to separate themselves when people start studying after the season and Drake May and Caleb Williams. And I know we've started to see more and more people, more and more of the draft pundits that cover this year round being willing to say out loud, hey, Drake May might actually be better than Caleb Williams when it comes to how we think about them as Sunday guys, as someone who talks a lot about Sunday stuff and has obviously covered a lot of college football stuff with me and, and, and does so now how have you viewed this are you surprised at all that we've arrived here just as the calendar is turning to november i i heard a comment made by somebody respectable a few months ago that after a great caleb williams highlight there was a, a comment on social media of 
that's awesome, but he's not going to have 10 seconds to run around and try and make a play against a bad secondary that's a bad defense, you know, in the NFL. And I read that, I thought, man, here we go. It's already started. Like, Caleb Williams has become such a highlight machine that people just want to assume that that's what he does. He runs around and makes these great Mahomes-like throws. Drake May is doing things more to use the draft word that we all love on schedule, right? Like, uh, But I think that that's probably oversimplification on both sides of this. Like, Drake May has played pretty well. I don't, I'm not taking anything away from that. Caleb Williams has had to do so much for that USC team. Like, there, there is no – they got one option, and that score 352 points a game – because their defense is trash. And so, yeah, we've seen a couple of games where Caleb Williams has pressed too much. I think that's that's fair to admit. But also, does a body of work of almost two full seasons not count for something? Like, Drake May is, is one of those ceiling-floor conversations to me. People are going to fall in love with him, and what we're going to hear is, well, the floor is higher for him, and, you know, Caleb is more of a ceiling guy. I just – I don't think that's fair to Caleb Williams. If I was sitting there with the Raiders with the first pick, I would want Caleb. See, I actually I, I disagree in the way that they're perceived and they've been framed because you're right. To me, it is a body of work thing. And because Drake May played for a North Carolina team that wasn't all that sexy last year, that was a guy that should have been much more of a Heisman Trophy candidate and wasn't for what he was doing for that UNC team. I actually thought their 2022 tape was remarkably similar in that neither guy really had people blocking for him all that consistently. Both spent a lot of time running for their lives, making superhero throws. And for Caleb Williams, we know he had a couple of stud receivers in that room for Drake May he had Josh Downs on that team that's now playing Sunday ball but I thought both of them had to do a lot of similar stuff I think as we go forward towards Sunday what you talked about is Caleb Williams proclivity for big plays that were wow moments and when USC was winning last year got framed as look at how special this guy is he wins the Heisman Trophy in that way they make it to a New Year's Six Bowl all these things and hey he's injured towards the end of the year so we're not going to freak out too much when some of the bad stuff happens now that they've lost games we look and I think because so much of the college football playoff stuff is out of reach for them and it doesn't feel like the Pac-12 title stuff's there either, now we've kind of turned the page to watching as a draft uh, draft analyst versus watching as fans of college football. And I think that's a big difference where now all of a sudden you go, all right, well, what, he's probably 6'1"? on a good day he's yeah. not the most dynamic athlete in the world but he's slippery kind of runs like fred flintstone and so when you start to compare that and you go all right in the nfl we do see size does matter kid drake may sitting there at six four or whatever he's listed at feels important in these conversations all that stuff starts to pop up and i think we've gotten there sooner because the football stakes have been lowered for usc based on the games they've lost there's there's one thing i would say though about the draft as it comes together uh, it, presuming Chicago doesn't get the first two picks because of their trade, if there are any two teams p picking one and two, I don't think there's any amount of draft equity that would get those teams to move out. When you look at those worst records, Cardinals, Panthers, Giants, Bears, I don't think you could offer a team an entire draft and they would move out of it. So you either have the first two picks and you get a quarterback, or you have the third pick and you don't. It is that oh, simple this you year. Think the, you think the Panthers would take a quarterback there, even with Bryce Young on their roster right oh, now? Oh, no, the, you're right. The Panthers, I thought they traded that pick away. You are, the, you are right. That is the one exception yeah i was gonna say i think you're right though for everybody else it is quarterback at one and two both of these guys no matter which order are the obvious choice we'll get to another obvious choice next here on gojo and golden So we've turned the page and crowned a champion in Major League Baseball. The Texas Rangers get to hoist the trophy for the first time in their franchise history, which means we're already going to ask, can they do it again? According to the early odds on DraftKings Sportsbook, they're tied for the third best odds with the Astros at plus 900, the Braves leading the way at plus 700, followed by the Dodgers. So right within range. As we know, a lot of that roster coming back. CJ Nitkowski does a great job as the analyst covering the Texas Rangers joined us yesterday and talked about this idea of can they compete again immediately next season? When you look at the main pieces, the lineup, uh, there is nobody uh, outside of Mitch Garver, of course, as the DH uh, that is not returning. And so you have that entire starting nine, uh, when you, or I should say starting eight defensively uh, in the field, and then most of your pitchers coming back. Now there's some injuries there, of course, with uh, guys like Jacob deGrom knowing he won't be back probably until at least August. But for the most part, this team is still intact. You can check out CJ hosting Loud Outs on MLB Network Radio, Sirius XM, 2 to 5 a.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday, and also his great podcast with Ryan Spielborg's Negative War. 
positive vibes and a lot of positive vibes around that Texas team. A lot more positive vibes right now, Jesse, around another team in Texas, San Antonio. We have been waiting around. We had seen a little bit of it, but last night we got the full delivery. Our full shipment came in. All the stuff that we ordered right in one kit caboodle from one Victor Wembenyama and the Spurs team. Good Lord. He poured in. 38 points, guiding the Spurs to their second straight victory over the Suns. Just absolutely balling out. Like you said, it's what we've been waiting for. Career high in points, shooting 15 of 26 from the field, 3 of 6 from 3. 10 of his points came in the final five minutes of the win. He added 10 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 blocks, 1 steal. And after the game, our boy was humble as hell. Every game is different. And... um... We it's already our, our third win, and we, you know, we every game we try to find the what's the you know the the sweet the, the spot where we need to to hurt them, you know, and today might have been in in this way, and tomorrow it will be someone else, you know. It's how great teams work, you know. We want to be great. We need to play with everyone. Guys, it feels like he's coming along also at the right time because, you know, the playing tournament does tip off tonight. So, like, okay, here we go. Starting to – Stella's finding his groove here. Man, let me tell you what. Much like when you had – I think the first year of the playing tournament for the postseason – was a year where you had like the Golden State Warriors and I think even the Lakers sneak into that. I know both have been in it, but I think year one, it might have been Golden State that worked their way in. And it was such a coup for Adam Silver to have this thing that you're trying to break in be the star of this product. And I know they had kind of set up this midseason tournament to definitely heavily feature the Spurs. And so if you get this version of Victor Wembignana in this new thing that Adam Silver is trying to put out there fits It's going to work because we're now all in the mode where, especially after a night like that, Victor Wembanyama was already must-see fascination, but now the basketball has immediately become must-see television. Which is important, by the way, uh, because, frankly, we're used to the NBA season sort of kicking off on Christmas Day. This year, they're going to be taking on a triple header of uh, NFL action, right? So the NFL is sort of stomping all over that. If you're the NBA, you're already early in the season trying to make sure that people realize, hey, we're doing things different. There's something to pay attention to. The load management conversation coming into the season was part of that now we have the play-in tournament and then you have a player that is frankly not only is he beautiful to watch but also it just feels like he's light years ahead of where somebody his age should be in his ability to handle this platform I said it when he was drafted to the Spurs I thought it was perfect because he went to a situation where he could sort of develop and develop around people that could help him develop into the superstar status that he's going to have I just haven't felt necessarily this great need for that development right like it is it is amazing because what the NBA has here is a gift that's going to keep us paying attention to the Spurs like this is I, I can't even find the NFL equivalent of what it would be but this is a franchise that otherwise wouldn't be on this show otherwise wouldn't be in the national attention like we wouldn't be talking about the Spurs until just near the end of the season when it would be well what's pop doing and how's it going and is pop going to stick around like those would be our questions and instead the Spurs have put themselves squarely in the spot where they are going to constantly be the conversation because he's a superstar and when you watch him play not only is he a superstar but he's a superstar that plays the game different than anything we've ever seen so it's like it is must-see TV because it looks different. This would be the equivalent, and this is recency bias to the fullest, but if all of a sudden you handed one of these next-generational quarterback prospects to Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh, if you gave a franchise that has this historical cachet, a coach that we all love and respect, and view as one of the best around the league, a generational prospect to mold and you're absolutely right. It was the perfect fit in marriage. We talked to PJ Carlissimo yesterday who said everyone he talked to said what you've seen on tape, you're going to be even more wowed by how mature he is like you talked about. But man, seeing the basketball stuff last night, like it was the Stefan, this player has everything. <laughs> and from going up and under and doing like the Dr. J where he goes under the backboard and then lays it in, the moment that cemented it for me last night where I just cackled because this game came against the Phoenix Suns. Like a team a lot of people are picking to win the Western Conference. A lot of people are picking to win the NBA title this year with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and uh, Bradley Beal all out there. Kevin Durant has so famously been the cartoon on the perimeter where because he's seven feet tall, we've watched him pull up and hit shots over dudes where they go up to contest and they're nowhere near it. I saw one last night where Big Vic did a little give and go and ended up with the ball 
somewhere between the elbow and the actual baseline. And he turned and faced the basket and shot with his elbow up over a guy's head. And I just thought, so there's, we've even upgraded the Kevin Durant model to where now this guy is going to turn and have access to the basket from everywhere on the court. And with that kind of stroke and the kind of confidence that he's clearly already displaying, I don't know what you're supposed to do to stop it once the engine gets fully revved on this. I was actually thinking about you um, when I saw some of the pictures of him coming through at the beginning of the year through the locker room. Because I remember the year that we went to Duke, North Carolina, the shoe blowout game for Zion. And we were doing hits at the time for the morning show. And we did them. And after one or two of these TV hits, somebody came in and said, hey, we got to get a box for Fitz to stand on because like they're just disproportionately. And I was like, well, you all see us walk around every day. You should know I'm 5'9". Mike is not. Like This is a pretty easy thing to figure out, right? Five, I'm five nine and a quarter, thank you. Uh, but you know, okay. Uh, but the, I was watching Victor Wembanyama walk down the before the game, and I think it was the Chris Paul moment where he was like trading off a jersey, and he looked so much taller than actual NBA. Like I'm not talking about he looks taller than coach. I'm not talking about he looks taller than the analyst. I'm not talking about the sideline interviews, uh, the, which are always a little bit awkward because he's so huge. I'm talking about standing next to grown ass NBA players. He looks like he absolutely lords over them when you think about his body type if he ever puts on any width at all and i just like i'm not even asking for Giannis. but i was just saying but think of Giannis. like he was not this skinny but he was close if he gets even just a little bit of that girth that's gonna be juicy God, girth and juicy <laughs> in the same sentence is really, really unsettling. I will say you're right about how cartoonish he looks next to other NBA players. Like I haven't felt this way since we used to see those pictures of Yao Ming next to Shaq, where Shaq is the biggest person any of us know, and somehow Yao Ming reduced him to a toddler right next to him. Now you've got a guy who's that kind of tall, but also can ball handle on the perimeter like a lot of these freaks that we've seen. We mentioned the play-in tournament. That starts tonight and tips off tonight, which I was wholly unaware of until after the show yesterday. You've got the four group stage games, quarterfinals December 4th and 5th, and then Jason, I know you're going to love this because now the entire sports world revolves around Las Vegas. The semis in the championship game, December 7th and December 9th in Las Vegas. I'm sure you're going to be trying to wiggle your way in there and work your way somehow. Yeah, I mean, am I a plus one, Mike? You going to Vegas? Is that what you're telling me? Like, Mike's, you're going to be out there? Like, courtside? Mike, give me courtside? I figured you would be the courtside one. You're the one who's somehow shaking hands with everybody in Vegas and has all these hookups because you frequent these hotels and casinos so much. So I'm looking at you, guy with the credit card that points go to Vegas comp hotels. Okay, well, look, that, that, and I am sitting here in my uh, Golden Knights hoodie. So, yeah, uh, all right, you know what, Mike? You can be my plus one. I'll work on it. I'm just going to have to drop your name to get decency. It's like my – like, I can get in the building. Uh, you got to have the last name Golik to get, to get, you know, in the building and then actually be seen. I was going to say, here's the real life hack. Drop the junior. Let them believe it's going to be dad for a while. And then let them be disappointed when I show up here. It works every time. You know, I'll get us three. I'll get us three tickets. And then when he doesn't show, we have more space. There we go. Perfect deal there. Coming up next, let's let Jason Fitz partake in this show's greatest pastime. It's time for the acrostic NFL preview next. 